So question, how many, try not to look around, how many of you guys actually know somebody that is a Grinch? Does anybody know? Ooh, we got hands raised. Proud of you. Anybody else? Know people that are Grinches? Not maybe about Christmas, just in general. They're just Grinchy people. I don't know where my wife's at. She would raise her hand about me right now, so... Um, uh, it was funny. So we were at Culver's uh, last week with some people at church, and uh, we were seeing this lady that was kind of walking back and forth, and she she seemed stressed, right? And she came over to our table finally and was like, hey, do you guys want me to throw your stuff away? And I think my wife asked. She's like, how's your day going? You doing okay? And she goes, oh, it's just been crazy. It has been crazy. And I said, you know what it is? It's those daggum church people, right? And you'd think, you know, she would have let them off the hook or said something. She leaned in and she goes, you have no idea. <laughs> Actually, I might. I don't know. I felt bad for her. But fun fact is some Christians, unfortunately, are forever a Grinch, no matter what. Even if they have received God's love and grace, there are some who are Grinchy about his grace. There are some who think it is too radical. There are some who think it produces lethargic Christians. And there are some who think if you get too much of God's grace during Christmas you will go out and have bad behavior, right? There are some that think that. Some of them, right, become a Grinch about grace. Look at this guy. I mean, he's pretty cute. We're going to make sure he's out there after service too so you can get a picture with him. But um, truthfully, no one at the end of the day, and I will speak for myself, no one at the end of the day really wants to be a Grinch, Nobody really wants, I don't even think the Grinch really wanted to be the Grinch. And I will tell you, it is difficult to overcome being too Grinchy. It really is. It's difficult, especially about grace. And, you know, um, sad story. Uh, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic home. Uh, my dad, uh, who's watching, uh, has no longer uh, living that life. <laughs> Um, but I went to a lot of classes uh, with my stepdad also. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Al-Anon classes. Everybody in Al-Anon classes? Great class. Great class, right? Uh, but when you're there, it's where all the kids go when your parents are alcoholics, okay? And I went there. I was a professional at the Al-Anon class. And um, what they taught you was the first way to overcome is acknowledgement, right? Acknowledgement is the first step to recovery. That's what they say. And I'll let you know, the first way to recover from being Grinchy is you have to acknowledge being Grinchy, okay? And there's only two ways that you can actually acknowledge it. The first way is that the Holy Spirit, uh, through his gentleness, will nudge you ever so subtly and help you to recognize that you might be too Grinchy this Christmas, okay? The second way is on a Sunday morning, Matt, through illustrations and points, will help to not so subtly point out that we might be being too Grinchy about God's goodness and his grace, okay? So I'm going to give you three signs 
that you might be being too Grinchy this Christmas, okay? Three signs that you might be being too Grinchy this Christmas. And the way I'm going to start that off with is by reading to you the story. So let's start. I must find some way to stop Christmas from coming. Now, I'm going to hop a little bit. I'm not going to read the whole story because it's too much. But for tomorrow he knew all the who girls and boys would wake bright and early. They'd rush for their toys and then, oh, the noise, oh, the noise, 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 noise. That's one thing he hated, the noise, the noise, the noise, noise. Then the who's, young and old, would sit down to a feast, and they'd feast, and they'd feast, and they'd feast, feast, feast. I present, right, that just as the Grinch was hyper aware of the noise, the number one sign that we might be too Grinchy is if we're hyper aware of sin. We're hyper aware of sin. I'll read to you in John 9, uh, verses 1 through 3. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Verse 2, it says, Rabbi, and it said, his disciples. It's funny that it's his disciples. You'd think it would be Pharisees. You'd think of people, people just in the public. But his actual disciples, the 12, asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. There was a time, I don't know about you, but there was a time where I felt, or if I saw something that happened bad to someone, I assumed it had something to do with sin. I would see somebody get sick, and I was like, you know what it is? It's got to be that sin. I would see somebody praying for a job and really wanting some type of job, and then I, they didn't get the job, and then I was like, I, that's got to be sin. That's why. Or maybe it was an open door that they were praying for, and that door never opened. And I'm like, it's got to be sin. And I would tell people, you know why God's not moving? You want to know why God's not doing things in your life? It's because you have to get rid of sin. I used to youth pastor out in Arizona, and I would take young people to conferences, right? And typically at these conferences, there would be some type of uh, hyper-emotional preacher, and he would talk about sin quite a bit. And one of the ways he would talk about it is he would say, okay, if you were to invite Jesus to your house, it was usually at the end, and Jesus were to come to your house, and the inside was all beautiful, the living room was beautiful, the furniture was all set perfectly, you'd go to into each room, and it's all nice and pretty and clean, and the bathroom was even clean, but there's this one room in your house that's dirty, and it's nasty, and it's sinful, and it's a room that Jesus wants to break his way into and change in there, Right? And I would, I would even use that illustration as well. But I want to encourage you today that there isn't a sin room. There isn't a hidden room. There isn't a secret area that hasn't already been dealt with by God. John 1.29, it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of God. 
of the world. 1 John 2.2, it says, He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and check this out, and not, for, not only for our sins, but the sins of all the world. There's no room, there's no hidden place. 1 John 1.7 it says that the blood of Jesus actually cleanses us from all sin, past, present, and future. And something that I've been thinking about lately, uh, just I, I've been wrestling with it the last couple months, is did Jesus, this is a question I've been asking myself, if Jesus' blood was only good for when he died, that means only the people that were on the earth at the same time that Jesus was there, that was all that his blood could pay for. But no, we know that he paid, at least most people know that he paid for all of the sins of our past, right? And the reason why I know that he, didn't, he also paid for my future sins and your future sins as well is because he's not coming and dying again. No, he died for my past sins, my present sins, and all of my future sins. And he removed them as far as the east is from the west, how many sins did Jesus die for after the cross? He died for all of them. Let's go back to the, the Grinch. They would feast on who pudding and rare who roast beast. That used to mess with me when I was a kid. I was like, why didn't they say roast beef? Which was something the Grinch couldn't stand in the least. And then they'd do something he liked least of all. Every who down in Whoville the tall and the small, would stand close together with Christmas bells ringing. They'd stand hand in hand, and the Who's would start singing. They'd sing, and you got to know his face is kind of grinchy, and they'd sing, and they'd sing, 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 and the more the Grinch thought of this Who Christmas sing, the more the Grinch thought, I must stop this whole thing. Why, for 53 years, I put up with it now. I must stop this Christmas from coming, but how? The second sign that someone might be too Grinchy, second sign is they're angry towards grace. They're angry towards grace. And you have to ask yourself this question. Do you think that grace has gone too far? Is grace off track and needs truth and rules and laws and standards to balance it? Do we think that? Are you here to save the day? <laughs> I used to think that. I was, I'm here to balance it all, to bring the force back. Martin Luther, I love what Martin Luther said. He said, the sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent, that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and must take matters into our own hands. Do you think grace is something new? Like, I, I've heard that for years, Matt. Do you, like, you got to be careful of that new, hip grace message that's just taking over and spreading and turning churches upside down, and it's telling people to go out and do a bunch of bad things. Let me read to you an old, old hymn that might tell you otherwise. It says, free from the law, oh, happy condition, Jesus hath bled, and there is remiss remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall, 
Christ hath redeemed us once for all. Once for all, O sinner, receive it. Once for all, O, o doubter, believe it. Cling to the cross, the burden will fall. Christ hath redeemed us once for all. There is on the cross your burden unbearing, thorns on his brow your Savior is wearing. Never again your sin need appall. You have been pardoned once for all. Now we are free. There's no condemnation. Jesus provides a perfect salvation. Come unto me. Oh, hear his sweet call. Come, and he saves us once for all. This message isn't new. It was only buried and hidden by those who feared it most. Do you think being grinchy can stop grace from spreading good news? Paul thought that as well. Philippians 3, verses 6 through 9, it says, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought that these things were valuable, didn't we all? But now, I love this part. This is where we should live. It says, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. Don't know if you remember the story about uh, when the disciples came to Jesus and they were like, what do we do to do the works of God, right? They, they were asking, what, do, what is it that we, what, we, what do we do, right? We get, we get it that you're the savior of the world, but what do we do? And I feel like that's still the same question. That's still the same question that people ask is, what do we do? We need to do something for God. What is it? And if Jesus really wanted to get him, don't you think this would be the moment, right? Like he would be like, this, I got him right where I want him now. They've been following me for all this time, and now they want to know what to do. And this would have been the time where Jesus would have set it up, and he would have said, you know what you need to do? You need to repent, and you need to obey. That's it. Repent and obey. But check out, the Savior of the world had that perfect opportunity, and you want to know what he told them that they had to do? He said, only believe in the Son of God. That's it. That's it. And that's all we need to do. That's all we need. That's where we need to live every single day is just living and knowing that he did what he was supposed to do. Poo-poo to the who's. He was grinchously humming. They're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two. Then the who's down in Whoville will all cry, boo-hoo. That's a noise grinned the Grinch that I simply must hear. So he paused, and the Grinch put his hand to his ear. And he, and he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started in low. Then it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad. Why this sound sounded merry, it couldn't be so. But it was Mary, very. He started down at Whoville. The Grinch popped his, 
popped his eyes. Then he shook. What he saw was a shocking surprise. Every who down in Whoville, presents at all, he hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, it had to be gross, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. The third sign that we might be too Grinchy is you've kept score. I don't know if you've ever kept score. I was pretty good at it at one time. Um, But how many of you ever heard the story of the prodigal son? Like typically you hear that at the end of a message, right? The prodigal son, the son who took everything and went and spent it all. And uh, there's a lot of focus on the prodigal son. And usually in every scenario at the end, it's, it's used to point that even if you've done a bunch of bad things, God will still accept you. And so the son comes to the father. He says, hey, dad, he said, Can I, I, want, I want to take my inheritance early. He goes out, and Scripture says that he spent it on wild living. And whatever wild living is, okay, you can picture whatever it is. And so he goes out, spends it all on wild living. He has nothing left. It gets to the point where he's eating slop, right, with the pigs, which automatically makes you unclean in Jewish culture, okay? Then he comes to himself, is what it says, and he remembers his father and says, man, I got to head back home and at least see if I can get a job with my dad. So he heads back home. There's a lot of emphasis talks about the father and what the father has done and that the father saw him from afar off and that he ran to him and he kissed him. And it's this beautiful picture of restoration and he puts the robe back on him and restores him with his ring and all those things, right? Goes and kills the fatted calf. He says, kill the fatted calf for my son where my son was lost and now is found. He's dead and now he's alive, right? Beautiful picture of his grace and mercy. But I want to focus on something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and it it talks about the older brother. It was the grinchiest of them all, which is the older brother, and that's where we pick up. It's in verse 25, Luke 15. It says, now the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned, and as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. He said, what's going on? He said, what's going on? He called over to one of the servants and asked, what's going on? The servant replied, it's your younger brother. He returned home, and your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. I've been there. So his father came out and pleaded with him, come and enjoy the feast with us. The son said, Father, listen, how many years have I worked like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son, and I've never once disobeyed you. But you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends as this son of yours is doing now. Now, the older brother wasn't being a Grinch because he hated parties. Everybody loves parties, right? He was being a Grinch because he was keeping score. He was keeping track that the father wasn't giving him what he felt as though he deserved, right? And I, and I, and I love this conversation. It says, look at him. 
And this is where you can see that he's keeping track. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living. And here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. The father said, my son, you are always with me by my side and everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to rejoice and celebrate like this because your brother was once dead and gone. But now he's alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he is found. Now the good news about God and his grace is he doesn't grade on a curve. The bad news about God is that he doesn't grade on a curve. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes grace stinks because it makes all things equal. Have you ever been hurt by someone? Anybody ever been hurt by someone? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was something, somebody that you were really close to, and that person hurt you, right? And didn't you feel that that other person deserved some type of punishment? You're like, man, I, they've got to get punished at some point. I'm sure that God is going to punish them. And the other day, I heard, uh, I heard a quote that I thought was great. It says, life begins when we stop tallying sin. When we stop tallying sin. Um, the other day, or actually, yeah, yesterday, we went and uh, to... Uh, put our girls in basketball, right? We went to see how they would do. We took them to tryouts. And when we took them there, um, they did pretty good. But last year uh, was the first time taking them. And when we took them, we were a little uh, hesitant. We were a little freaked out. They did pretty good, except for their team lost the entire season, okay? It was kind of brutal to watch. Uh, my lovely wife, who's so wonderful, uh, she played basketball when she was in middle school and high school. And have you guys ever seen those videos where the wife is freaking out and the husband's trying to pull their wife down? It was very much like that the whole time. And I'm like, calm down. This is just a game. It's our kids. Don't say anything. Kind of put my hand over her mouth sometimes. Like, shh. Right? It was pretty embarrassing. Uh, and I was pretty crazy myself. There was times where it was her. There was times where it was me. And uh, we found ourselves losing our minds at most of these games. And because we played the same team every time, and that same team would foul. They were taught, they were taught how to foul. They were hurting the other kids. And we're just like, come on, where's the refs at? Make that call. All those, all those things. We got to the very last game of the season. And we're like, man, I'm sure this is going to be different. The points were still awful. The other team had 30. I think our team had three. And we were freaking out. Third quarter, all the kids get up, and they leave for the third quarter. You know, they did a little break. And when they came back in, I was like, oh, gosh, what's going to happen, right? And um, they actually, uh, from there, they turned off the, um, the scoreboard. And I thought, okay, well, this is a good sign, I guess. Um, but I was still freaking out. And what I realized is just a few seconds in is that we weren't stressed out anymore. We weren't freaking out. We weren't wondering what's happening. We had fully realized that they, they turned the scoreboard off. 
And I really believe that that is how sin is. When, when you recognize that there's no sin that God is holding against you, when you recognize there's no sin that God's holding against the world, you really can sit back and enjoy people. You can enjoy his goodness. You can recognize he's not out to get people. You're not tallying your own sin. You're also not tallying other people's sin. I love what Romans 4.8 says. It says, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Blessed is the Lord whose sin sin the Lord will never count against them. This was a quote of Paul. He was quoting from David. And that day is now. That day has come that we are blessed because the Lord will not count our sins against us. And it's one thing to hear that, right? sounds real pretty. It's another thing to just, do I believe that? Do I think that on a daily basis? Do I recognize that God's not holding my sin against me? Do I walk that way? Do I think that way? Do I treat other people as if God's not holding their sin against them? Have I learned how to be able to look at people the way God does? Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And what happened then, well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three times that day. And the minute his heart didn't feel quite so tight, he whizzed with his load through the bright morning light. And he brought back the toys and the food for the feast. And he himself the Grinch carver, carved the roast beast. If you ever watched the original, I remember being a kid and watching the original Grinch, right? And uh, at this point in time, in this per- portion of the, they're still standing around the big tree and they're singing, they don't even know how to say that song, Wahoo Dore or whatever it is. I could never say it as a kid. I'm like, I don't know what they're saying, but it sounds really nice, right? And I remember the Grinch pulls down, and he was riding on that thing. And then the circle, I don't know if it's because the cartoon couldn't do it or they just wanted to. It was like five people opened up like a gate and just let the Grinch in. He pulls in, and then they just close the gate. And then the next scene, he's carving this roast beast. And I always thought that was interesting because I thought there was no conversation. There was no trial. There was no, did he really mean he was sorry? What changed with your heart? What changed with you? It was just a welcome, and he was at the the feast cutting the roast beast, right? And what changed the Grinch's heart was he received forgiveness. He received God's love. We love because he first loved us. Amen? I'm going to read to you uh, one last poem, uh, and then we're going to close. But it says, if your arms are crossed and you have a Grinch face, there is a song that's calling the song of grace. You may hate those grace people down in Graceland, They'll sing and they'll sing and you'll hear firsthand of his goodness and love. It seems unfamiliar, but you can't deny it. It's all very peculiar. God can grow your heart even if it's three times too small. Mine sure did, and I was the Grinchiest of them all.